Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. I've been a cop for 27 years. I like to say I got a backstage pass to life. Well, guess what? I got some tickets for you. So come on in, pull up a chair, turn up that volume, and let's go. Chasing Justice is on. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Chasing Justice. I'm your host, Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. You know, I wanted to start out today talking about something a little different. And the reason I want to talk about something a little different is because, you know, we get caught up in the politics, we get caught up in the the news of the day, and who's evading who, and, you know, how much, you know, the property, everything costs, and your property taxes, it gets to be monotonous. Now, I promise we'll cover some of those things, but what I want to talk about today is something a little more personal. And I have, I have two things that are going to come up, but the first one is a little revealing about me. Uh, to my to my people out there that are listening in Chasing Justice Land. But I think it's, it's something I have in common with a lot of people. And that is how we deal with our pets. And you say, pets? Lieutenant Joe, we're going to talk about pets? Well, I, we're going to talk about pets in a bigger picture. You know, the bigger picture is that, what is a pet? A pet is a companion. A pet is... Uh, something that enhances our life in some way. I mean, I know some people... Uh, have pets that they they do things with, you know, horses. They go and ride horses and they're competitive with them. I know my cousin Carolyn, uh, she is a trainer of dogs and she trains any kind of dog people have and she's an expert with this. It's really, um, it's really wonderful. She's down in uh, Delaware. And I know some friends of mine who don't have children, but instead they have pets, dogs and cats, and they, they call them Pet parents, you might see this on a bumper sticker. I'm the pet parent of a uh, Indonesian yap hound or whatever. Um, and I know people sometimes people make fun of them, but but I don't because I know how much I love my kids and how important they are to me. But I've also had pets across my entire life that have been important to me. They become part of my family, and I think that pets actually do that. They do become part of our family. They are connected to us just like anybody else in the family. They have their place in the family. Uh, they're enjoyed. Uh, they show love. They show affection, right? We talk about this all the time. So I wanted to touch base just on that human aspect of being a pet owner and having a pet owner and some of the, the wonderful things and the difficult things. So as most of you know who've been listening for a while, every once in a while, uh, our, our beloved Arthur makes an appearance. Now, Arthur is a rescue dog. Uh, we rescued him six years ago now. Uh, it's hard to believe that he's, uh, he's six, maybe almost seven. They're not sure exactly when he was born. But he was born to a difficult life, as many rescue dogs are. He was born down south in Georgia somewhere. Uh, and we worked with a rescue company up here. My wife, Kathleen, uh, has a great big heart. And she decided, you know, one time that, hey, you know, maybe maybe I should rescue some dogs. And I'll give you the story about why we did that. We have had um, dogs for... Kathleen had one growing up. She had a couple of dogs. We had dogs when I was uh, a young person. And they've always been a positive thing in both of our lives, uh, these dogs. Now, when we got married, we had a cat. Uh, we got a cat from a friend of ours. They their, their cat had a litter of kittens and... We saw this cute, beautiful, pure white cat, and I named him Horatio Prim, 
right? After the uh, Abbott and Costello character from the movie Days of Our Times of Our Lives, right? Everybody remembers watching that when they were back in the 1800s, and uh, Lou Costello fell in a well, and it was his ghost, I guess, uh, in the future times of their lives. But his name was Horatio Prim, and I always thought that was a cool name. And we got this cat, and I named him Horatio, and it was a different kind of a name, and we really loved Horatio, and he was an excellent cat. Uh, so that, that was our first experience as a married couple with a pet. We weren't ready for a dog yet because dogs take a lot more work than cats do. I mean, cats are very independent. Uh, basically, you feed them, you pet them when they want to be petted. Uh, you put the stuff back on the shelves that they decide to knock off and, uh, you know, they, they live, they go about their lives. So they're easier than a dog that needs almost constant attention kind of a thing. So over the course of our lives, we started to have children and... You know, my son Joseph was born, and then we had Alexander. And we said, you know, the, the, it'd be nice for the, the boys to have a dog, right? So what are we going to do? So uh, one of the officers that I worked with, his family actually was were breeders of Labradors. Now, we had never had a Labrador. Uh, most of the dogs that we ever had were, you know, uh, a litter of mixed puppies in a box. Somebody standing in front of a food store, would you like a puppy? Five dollars. And that's what we would get. Um, my, my childhood dog growing up, we had one of those kind of dogs. He was called Big Shot. That was his name. Um, but after I had him when I was really little, my next dog that came into our family was a, uh, I guess they call him a toy poodle. He wasn't a teeny tiny one. He was about a 20 pound, uh, poodle and his name was Beauregard, right? Cause my mother named him Beauregard and, uh, she, she loved this dog and, and he was part of our family. And his hair grew out, so he was a big, he was a big fluff ball. Uh, he looked like one big, one big ball of fluff. And I'll remember, uh, my mother wanted him cut into the classic poodle kind of haircut. So they took him to a breeder or whatever they call him, the the person who cuts the dog hair. And he came home. Now my brother and I were used to seeing, uh, you know, Beauregard or Bobo, as we called him. We used to seeing him as a rough and tumble playmate. I mean, he'd be chasing the ball. We'd be wrestling. He was a he was a fun fun dog, and he leaves as this uh, this bundle of fur, and he comes home with the classic poodle cut. You know where they cut the hair off his legs, and he's got the pom pom on his head, and he's got the pom pom on his tail. Well, we were hysterical. We were laughing hysterical that you know that with perfume, and they put a bow on him. You know, a bow on Beauregard, like a blue bow they put on him. My mother was thrilled. My mother, sainted mother, Corrine, she was thrilled uh, how he looked. And, oh, he was so dainty and this and that. But this dog didn't want to be dainty. He wanted to play with the boys. And we laughed at him. We, I mean, I feel so bad now. We laughed at him. That he went and hid. He was so embarrassed that we'd be laughing at him with his haircut. Which, we, we, we talked about it at the time. He did seem embarrassed that we would laugh at him. And which told me that how can a dog possibly have feelings like that? Well, because he was so connected to our family that he knew his place in the family. He was accepted. He was loved. And when he got this haircut and he looked funny and we laughed, he was embarrassed. And you don't think of a dog or any animal having those kind of feelings, but especially a dog. They're very intuitive. Uh, and certain dogs are very intelligent, we know. Uh, and, and Beauregard was like that. Well, over the course of time, you know, dogs get older, and we had to put Beauregard down. At that point, um, you know, he was really old and sickly, and he, he couldn't walk anymore. And I, I was, it, it fell to me when I was 18 years old, because my, my, dad, my dad had passed earlier. 
that uh, we had to do something for Beauregard, and, and I had to put him down, and I brought him home, and we, uh, we buried him in the backyard. We gave him a nice little place, and, and he, he stayed with us, you know, even though he wasn't there physically. And that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. You know, we have these, these doggy parents, and for whatever reason, they don't have children. They have dogs, and they love those dogs. And that's why I don't laugh at those people, because animals are really connective to us. They tell us a lot about ourselves and how we see the world. So as time moved on, you know, I met Kathleen, and, and we got married, and, and then we had Horatio the cat. Well, when my boys came along, we went to... Uh, one of the cops, his family was a breeder of Labradors, and we never had Labradors, and these dogs were beautiful. And I always thought it'd be nice to have a Labrador. I always liked the look of them. I, you know, they, they, they seemed really nice. They were always friendly. And we got a, uh, a female, a chocolate female, and we named her Jessie. And Jessie was absolutely wonderful. She was the sweetest, most loving dog you'd ever want to see. Uh, protective of family, but she wasn't a biter, nothing like that. She, you know, they say about Labradors, if you have a Labrador and a burglar comes, they'll lead them to the silverware. You know, they're not going to fight anybody. Uh, they're not that kind of a dog. They're a, a, a loving kind of a dog. And Jesse was exactly that. Well, as we were raising Jesse, um, the vet said to us, you know, you should let her complete her life cycle and have a litter of puppies. And we had no intention of, of breeding a dog and, and selling dogs. or no, We didn't want to do anything like that. But we thought about it. And we said, you know, if that's part of the dog's life cycle and she should do it, I don't know. We, so we were considering. And a bunch of our friends all said, if we could have a dog like Jesse, uh, we would love to have a dog. So if you want to have a litter of puppies, I'll take one. So we thought about it and we decided, okay, well, I guess we'll do it. So I went and I found... Uh, another officer who had a beautiful um, white Labrador, right? I guess they're white. They call me yellow. I guess they call me yellow. And uh, we let them breed. We let them get together and breed. And there you go. Jessie's, uh, she's pregnant with puppies. And it was an amazing uh, thing to watch because we had, uh, as it got close for her to have the puppies. And you talk about how do you connect to these animals? Jessie and I were very closely connected. She was, uh, she was connected to the whole family and loved everybody. But boy, was she connected to me, and I was connected to her. I loved going on long walks in the woods with her and, and taking her wherever I went. I, she would get in the truck with me and go, and and I just loved being with this dog. She was really beautiful. Well, it got very close to having the time of having the, the puppies. We knew we were within, we thought we were within a couple of weeks of her giving birth. So um, we, we, there was one night, it was a Saturday night, and we had the two kids, and we went to my in-laws, and Kathleen and I had not had a parent's adult night in a while, and we said, hey, listen, you want to take the kids, you know, for the night, because we're going to go out to dinner, and uh, we're going to have, uh, you know, uh, husband and wife time, uh, we're going to have some time together without all the kiddies around, so my in-laws uh, took, took the boys, and Kathleen and I were sitting in the living room having a cocktail, getting ready to go out, and all of a sudden, we hear this sound, kind of something like this, you, you, you. We said, did you hear, what is that? What is that? And I go into the dining room and underneath the dining room table, there's my, my Jessie sitting there and there's a puppy on the floor, a baby puppy. And she's licking it and she's looking at me like, oh my gosh, what happened here? Uh, it, it, and this little puppy was there. So we immediately ran. We got, uh, you ever see the little kiddie pools, the plastic kiddie pools? Well, we pulled all the chairs out from under the dining room table. We put the kiddie pool underneath the table we put blankets in it and then i helped jesse into uh into this little uh pool with the blanket in it figuring if she's going to give birth 
she'll be there and she's going to have a couple of them. They have a litter, right? Then the puppies can't get away and she can maintain them and be much better than us trying to drag puppies back uh, to their mama and who knows how upset she would be if they did that. So as we're sitting here and we're watching this and we're looking at this beautiful, amazing little puppy and watching our Jessie learn how to be a mother right before our eyes as she's licking this puppy and cleaning it and she's trying to cuddle it uh, and keep it warm. All of a sudden, she stands up and she's, she comes out from underneath the table and she walks over to me and she looks up at me and I couldn't believe what happened next. I'm sitting in a chair watching her do her, her mama thing, give the babies, uh, give, give birth to the babies. She jumps up in my lap. She jumps up in my lap and she's lipping, licking my face as she gives birth to the next puppy right into my hands. She delivered this puppy right into my hands. I held it up to her. She started licking it. She jumped down. She started cleaning it. I put it back in the little pool. She climbed in there with it. And she now she had two of them. Well, Kathleen and I were amazed that she would jump up into my lap. This big dog, this 65-pound dog, jumped into my lap to give birth into my hand. Well, about 15 minutes later, she starts stirring again. She comes, she does it again. Well, she did this six times. She jumped into my lap and, and birthed her puppy right into my hands. It was an amazing experience. It was very connective to this, to this dog. Um, but it showed me how deep that connection can go. Um, it, was, it was a love, a familial love. And me as the master of the house, she loved me uh, like, uh, like a parent, I guess. I, I couldn't think of anything else. It was, but it was really, really amazing. And the puppy she had, now remember, the father was a yellow lab and she was a chocolate lab. Well, she had three absolutely pitch black, beautiful labs and three chocolate labs, right? So it, you never know with the genes, the colors, it, that was amazing too. So I tell you the story of Jesse because over the course of time, the boys loved Jesse. Jesse was uh, a very big part of our lives. She was such a, she became, she was such a good mother to watch her become a mother and control these puppies and it was really it was really beautiful and, and all our friends each took a puppy at the right time and they loved their dogs and they were connected to their dogs it was really great uh, over the course of time Jessie got older and she developed a, a huge tumor as dogs are, are often uh, apt to do this huge gigantic tumor in her stomach uh, and the vet was like listen there's really nothing we can do with this kind of cancer um she just has to live out her life and she could go at any time. And we started to see this beautiful, active dog. Now, this was probably, she was 12 and a half years old. This was seven years, eight years after she had her puppies. So she, she had a wonderful, wonderful life. And one of the things I have always said is that if, if you're going to love an animal, if you're going to take an animal into your home, you have to do everything that that animal needs. You have to you have to take care of their needs. You have to make sure they they have a loving home, that they have shelter that's comfortable and nice, that they they are trained, that they get all the medical attention that they need, all the things you need to do. And again, isn't that just like a family member? Don't we do that for family members? So, th this this human connection to animals, dogs and cats especially. You know, people that get on an airplane with an alligator. I don't think it's the same kind of thing. Uh, but when it when it comes to to the dogs and cats, we can get very connected to our animals. Well, unfortunately, this, this tumor got so gigantic and bad that poor Jesse couldn't walk around anymore. Um, 
and we knew she was in pain and I had to do the right thing. I, I took her down and we had to have her put down. Probably one of the hardest things I ever had to do as an adult and as a young father experiencing this um, the second time with a beloved animal that I had to take them and, and, and put them down. And, and I went in and I, I stayed with her and um, we, we connected until she was gone. And that's part of having a pet. So as time went by, you know, the boys missed having the dog and uh, what were we going to do? What are you going to do? Of course, we end up getting another one. We, we went to a, a, a place in Vermont. We were uh, vacationing up there and we saw this guy. He was a breeder, a champion breeder. And we got a beautiful black lab uh, as a puppy. And Jim Giordano, you know, from the neighborhood here, Jim and his family was up there with us and they got his brother, right? So we had the two dogs. We had uh, Shadow and, uh, and Leo. And they were beautiful, beautiful champion, top-end dogs, very loving and sweet. And over the course of time, um, you know, my poor Shadow, who was, Shadow was, was really a big mush. He was a, you know, big male dog, but a big mush, just a loving, loving mush. Um, he would, uh, he would climb up on the bottom of the bed and want to sleep at the bottom of the bed, but he had a funny habit of trying to get as close to me as he possibly could. He would, he would sneak up between me and Kathleen while we were sleeping, and he would nuzzle up next to me. Now, a lot of times, you know, Kathleen and I, we're very close, so I will be sleeping. I'm a back sleeper. You know, I'm a back, I sleep on my back, and I would put my arm out, and Kathleen would rest her arm on my shoulder, and I would cuddle her up, you know, and then we would cuddle while we're sleeping. It's a, it's, yes, it's a romantic story of uh, Lieutenant Joe and Kathleen, but we do have that. She's still my girlfriend after being married almost 40 years and Shadow would sneak up and, and try and, you know, connect. well, one night I'm laying there and I feel, oh, Kathleen's cuddled up on my arm. That's nice because, you know, it's comfortable, you know, and I roll over and no, it was Shadow. He had, he had climbed up and snuggled all the way up and got himself on my arm. And when I, I rolled over to uh, give my Kathleen a kiss, it was my Shadow. And uh, so we said, okay, this is really wonderful. This is very loving. He's a sweet boy, but I can't have him come between me and my wife. So what I tried to teach him and he was pretty smart, is that if you come up on the bed, you come up on my right side. You come all the way up on my right side and you can cuddle me over there because you can't come between us anymore. And that's what he used to do. Every night, uh, he would try and sometimes I, I didn't want him there because it was just, just uncomfortable. But other nights, I didn't mind. He was, a, he was a sweet, lovey boy. And as happens, you know, we have to make choices o over the course of time. He developed... Um, a tumor on his right rear leg. It started out like a little pimple. And I noticed that it was getting bigger and bigger. And you know, with these dogs, they're active dogs. They're out, they're running in the woods, they're jumping in the pool, they're going to the river. They're, they're, that's the kind of dogs these labs are. And he said, okay, maybe he got stuck with a stick, maybe something bit him, you know, we'll keep an eye on it. And it started to get pretty big. It was, it was underneath, I could feel it was bigger than just like a golf ball size on the top. So we took him to the vet. Hey, what is this? I said, maybe it's, you can lance it, maybe it's a cyst, I don't know. And the doctor looked at it and examined him and said, unfortunately, it's a, it's a tumor that is common to, uh, to dogs, and it is very, very large inside of his leg, um, and it's not going to get smaller. It's going to continue to grow, and one of two things are going to happen. Uh, it's either going to metastasize, and he's going to get these kind of tumors all over his body, um, or it can basically explode. So sorry to anybody who's eating a late afternoon lunch. It can explode, and you know, bleed out all over the house. And we've heard that, right? People have heard that of their dog who had some kind of tumor and they and it exploded and they come home and their house is covered in blood. So I didn't want that to happen. So I, what, what can you do? What can you do to save the dog? How do, how do you get rid of this tumor? And the vet says, well, 
all I can really do is cut off his leg, you know, surgically remove his leg. Now, you got to understand, this is a dog that runs and jumps every single day, jumps up on the bed, jumps up on the pool, jumps into the river, goes through the woods. Our house is two stories. Um, our backyard has a uh, an area that goes down a set of stairs to the to the lower part of the yard, which, which that's where the dog would do his business. So I'm going to cut this dog's leg off, and basically he's going to be what a lump on the floor. This energetic, beautiful dog, and at the time I guess he was, I guess maybe he was 11, 11 years old. So he probably had three or four good years left in him. He was he was up up to that. He was very healthy. And I said, well, what am I going to do here? You know, I have to make a choice. I have to make a hard choice. Do I cut the dog's leg off and have him just be sitting on the floor for the rest of his life? When he, when he sees us go outside, he wants to go. When we go to the water, go to the pool, he wants to come in. He wants to... J- what am I going to do? So I made probably the next most difficult decision in my life. As I said, I can't let the dog suffer with this tumor. And I can't cut his leg off. And I love the dog very much. I think the most humane thing I can do is put the dog down and put him out of his pain. And, and people can argue with you. And, and this is where I'm saying. This is things we don't talk about a lot and how close we are to these animals, how important they are to us. So we ended up having to put poor Shadow down and, and he was cremated. And they gave me his ashes in a beautiful, beautiful box with his name on it and everything. It sits on my desk to this day because I love that dog so much. Um, funny, I even told Miss Kathy, I said, when it's my time, when I go, I want that box in the box with me to eternity. I'll take my, my shadow with me. So this, this was, this was kind of tough. Well, this is all leading somewhere here. This, this first part of what we're talking about is that, um, as time went by, you know, we, we, now we have an empty house because dogs and animals and pets fill your house, don't they? They're always walking around. I, you know, the sound, we have hardwood floors here. So you'd hear the click of the, uh, of his, of his, uh, toenails as he walked around and you come home and they're barking for you. They're excited. They want to play and it, it becomes a thing. The kids loved these animals. They were very close with them. Um, so as time went by, we didn't know what we we're going to do. At that point, I was like, I don't want another dog. I don't want another dog. I, this is too painful. I can't do this again. Um, and we started doing the uh, the rescue. That's when Kathy started doing the rescue thing. But prior to that, when we still had Shadow with us, um, Kathy came home one day and said, hey, uh, she was thinking about rescuing. And she goes, hey, there's this kitten that this place is trying to uh, place. Uh, I'd like to rescue it and see if we can find a home. I said, okay, well, okay, you know, do what you want to do. That's good. So she brought this little kitten home, this little tabby kitten, a really beautiful little thing. And uh, the kids fell in love with it. So we kept him and she named him uh, Percy because he purred a lot, right? So we named him Percy. I called him Percival Jones because I like like Horatio Prim. I like Percival Jones. I like these formal names for animals because I'm a nut when it comes to these things. So we had this Percy around, and he was sweet and loving, very independent. Like like I said, cats are very independent, but he, we wanted him to be an indoor cat. Well, that's not what he wanted. Every chance he got, he tried to run for that back door because he was born in the woods. He was used to being out. And uh, finally, we gave in and said, okay, well, if he wants to go out, let him out. And he'd go out. He'd come back an hour later. He would go out, do his business, whatever, and then come home. So he was sweet to have around, and him and, him and uh, Shadow got along well. And then when Shadow passed, we just had Percy. But a cat is not like a dog. You know, the cat will uh, will let you be uh, petting the cat when the cat wants you to pet them. Other than that, the cat don't want to be bothered. So we started rescue. And we had, I don't know, eight or nine rescue dogs through here. And we found homes for them all. And it was really nice. Well, we got to Arthur, our boy Arthur. 
the kids fell in love with Arthur. Um, Kathy fell in love with Arthur. I was hesitant because I didn't want to fall in love with another dog. You know, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to just move on. I, I wanted to, you know, I didn't want my heart broken again. But of course they persist, you know, and I said, okay, all right, all right, right. We'll keep the dog. Well, now Arthur's a loving part of our family. Um, he's a sweet boy and, and he does bark in the background when I'm trying to do the show, but it, we all do what we're supposed to do in life, right? So that brings us to where we are now. And we have, uh, it's been six years now that we have Arthur. Uh, he's probably seven years old, maybe. He was born, you know, down down south and we've given him a good life and he's been a good member of the family and, and he's very healthy and we like him. Well, what happened to us in the last couple of days is where this having a pet thing, again, is very, very difficult sometimes when it comes to the realities of a pet. They don't live 80, 90 years like people. They live 10, 15 years maybe if you're lucky. So uh, our little cat, Percy, um, normally he, I would open the back door and whether it was snow or rain or whatever, if he wanted to go out, he went out. Um, he started bringing me things to the back porch, which bothered me, but I understood he would bring me a mouse. He would bring me a chipmunk and, and he would see me and drop it right in front of me. And according to the vet and everyone else who knows animal psychology, he was being loving. He was doing his part for the family. He was providing food to me the way we provide food and shelter to him. So it, it's kind of a connection between that animal and the family, which makes them family. That's why we say that. So the other night, it's been raining horrifically here in New Jersey for days and days and days. And it was probably 10 o'clock at night, and Percy's purring at the back door, and he wanted to go out. Normally, I would open the back door, and if it was this much rain, he would take a half step out, see the rain, and go, you know what? I got a litter box to go in, and he would back himself in and uh, and stay, stay in the house. Well, the other night, he, he's been acting strange for the last couple weeks. You know, not like hacking up a, a hairball. Sorry if you're still eating. Um, but he was doing this really stretching himself out and breathing really weird to the point that I was rubbing his neck and I was concerned. And we took him to the vet and the vet says, no, he seems to be okay. He seems healthy. Uh, cats can sometimes have breathing problems and they get over it, right? So here we are the other night and it's really nasty out. And I open the door and he doesn't test the outside. He just walks away very slowly down the stairs and he disappeared into the night. And I said... That's pretty strange. That's not like Percy, but oh well. So later in the night, I was calling for him. I got up in the middle of the night. I called for him. He didn't come. Usually, if it was nasty out, he would run real quick back into the house. The next morning, nothing. Uh, we were away all day. Uh, we came home. He still wasn't home. We called him all night long, three, four times overnight, uh, until the other morning when, when we woke up and said, you know, it's, it's 7 o'clock. We haven't seen this cat in a day and a half. This isn't right. So Kathy says, hey, could you go check? Maybe he got hit by a car. Maybe he's injured on the side of the road. Maybe he had a fight with a raccoon in the yard. Can you go check? So I said, yes. Right. So I put on uh, put on some galoshes and I put on a, a, a big umbrella and I go out looking. I don't see the cat anywhere. I go underneath the deck, his favorite place to go underneath the deck. And there he is curled up in a ball like he's sleeping. And I'm calling him, Percy, Percy, Percy. And He's not responding to me, and that's not like him. He always responded. He would at least lift his head up and look at me. I crawl under the porch, and unfortunately, our little Percy had died. As sad as that can be, um, he died. And what we found out was that that coughing, that strange coughing had, was probably a heart condition. And cats very often will go off on their own when they feel like they're going to die. And that's what he did. They go off to a favorite place. His favorite place was under the deck. 
and there he went under the deck and he passed our sweet little Percy. So to end this segment here, I don't want to end it on a bad note. I just want to say that we love our pets and it's okay to love your pets and it, they, they are a good part of our family. So good night, sweet Percy. We will see you again someday. Now, when we come back, we're going to talk about something good. I told you something good and sad. Well, that was the sad. Now here's the good. Let's talk about Aaron Judge and setting a new world record. Oral hygiene hasn't changed in 50 years, but our diet and the way we eat has, creating an environment in your mouth for bacteria to wreak havoc on your teeth and gums. For better oral health, get Spry Dental Defense, an oral care line designed to combat acid-creating bacteria. The toothpaste, mouthwash, mints, and gum all contain xylitol, a natural ingredient shown to dramatically improve oral health. Spry can be found online and at all fine natural retailers. Hello, I'm Ben Marble, MD, and I founded MyFreeDoctor.com as a donation-supported, faith-based nonprofit with a mission to save lives by delivering free doctor visits to patients in all 50 states of America. MyFreeDoctor.com treats a broad range of health concerns like COVID-19, long COVID, sinus infections, urinary tract infections, rashes, medication refills, and more. So please visit MyFreeDoctor.com where we're healing America one person at a time. As Americans, we seek to form a more perfect union. To paraphrase Abraham Lincoln, we are a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. And God willing, we shall not perish from the earth. AmericaOutloud.com Liberty and justice for all. These days, every time you turn on the news, it seems like there's a new threat to your health. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Advanced Nutrition Company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top and shoot it down, or mix it in water. Boost your immunity. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back to Chasing Justice. So thank you for letting me letting me go through uh, my thoughts about pets, especially since we were recently, you know, we recently suffered this loss of our beautiful little Percy. And I know that a lot of you out there have gone through the same thing. You might be going through the same thing uh, at any particular time in the future. If you're going to have pets, these are the kind of things that happen. So we want to we want to keep our pets healthy and we want to have healthy relationships and love is a good thing to have and a pet is very loving and and they're nice to have around. So one of the things we're talking about being healthy, um, I want to tell you about Healthy Cell. I've told you a few times before. I love this stuff now. Uh, I was gonna mix it up right here live on the show with some blueberry uh, drink that I have. I found some blueberry. Uh, I guess it's like a, a V8 juice, but it's blueberry and pomegranate. And I was going to mix the the healthy cell 
uh, immune boost in there. But instead, I think I'm just going to grab one and I'm going to have it right here on the air because I like it. This is how simple it is. Right? I got the package right here. And this is, uh, I think it's blackberry flavored. Uh, I really like it. So you can mix it in water. You can put it on, uh, you can put it on ice cream. You can put it on yogurt. I think the great Malcolm Out Loud puts it on yogurt. So I'm going to open it up. You open it up one second. It's a little, little tube like thing. And I'm going to drink it down. Mm -mm -mm. And there it goes. Now, when I look at this on the back, it tells you what's in here. There are a ton of different vitamins and, and supplement facts and all that. This stuff has kept me healthy. Uh, help me, help me to feel good. Miss Kathy's taking it. She feels good. See, there's Arthur in the back saying hello. Um, so healthy cell, the immune boost product really is excellent. Uh, I keep saying I'm going to take the focus factor. I bought it and I just haven't started it yet, but I'm going to, I'll, I'll tell you how that goes. They also make a, a thing for sleep. If you're having problems sleeping, you should try it. Now I don't have problems sleeping. I sleep like a baby, but my cousin had a really hard time sleeping, like a little insomnia kind of a thing. And he's a young guy. He's in his 30s. And I, I had bought some because I, hey, you never know. I might need it. And I gave it to him. And he used it. And he says, uh, hey, Joey, uh, within a couple of days, I was sleeping more than I had for the previous six months. And then he bought some on his own. And he's been taken. He goes, dude, I, I, I almost get like a real night's sleep now. This has really made a difference for me. So the whole Healthy Cell product line, I tell you about it because I care about you. And, you know, if it wasn't good, I would tell you that too. But uh, I like it. And you can, they, they advertise on the network here. Uh, so if you're, if you're looking for something to help you stay healthy, take a look at the Healthy Cell products, right? I think they're, they're all pretty good. I like them. All right. So we're, see how I said one day that from, you know, from the, from the animals and love and all that stuff into being healthy. It's all part of, of living a good life, being healthy mentally, physically, uh, having great relationships and all that kind of stuff. So one of the things I saw recently that I thought was excellent was this uh, New York Yankee fella, Aaron Judge. Now, to let, all disclosure unknown here, I am not a big fan of baseball, of Major League Baseball. I don't mind it. I've gone to games. Uh, you know, I, I find it, it, it's it's fun to go to the park. Uh, when you realize that it costs you, you know, like a thousand bucks to take a family of four to a major sports event, that's that's kind of difficult. But when I, I'm a football guy, I love football, a lot of action, you know, so I'm a big football guy. But when it comes to um, to baseball, it, when I was a kid, I played, but I didn't play on a team. I played on one organized team, and I, I it's too slow. And there's the windup, and the pitch, and a strike. And a wind up, and you know, it's a hit, it's a hit, it's a, oh, and it's caught in outfield, you know. So it just was never the thing that caught me. Now, my partner Chuck, when I was a cop, my partner Chuck, he was a professional baseball player early in life. He was on the Detroit Tigers farm system, I guess, triple A ball, double A ball, whatever it was. Um, that's what he, he was amazing, this guy. He was an amazing baseball player. I mean, just, you know, you could be good at something and you see somebody who's crazy. When I first met him, there was a, a police base uh, softball team and I was new and I come out to the team. I'm going to be a baseball player or a softball player. I like to do things like that. Drink a beer, hang out with the guys and girls. And I'm sitting on the bench and we're, you know, watching everybody hit and do stuff. And this guy, Chuck gets up and one of the other guys leans over and he goes, Hey, 
wait till you see this. And I'm like, what? He goes, you'll see. Now, other, you know, I've seen a lot of people hit. You know, you're, you're grown men. You're in your 20s and your 30s and in your 40s. They're out there all playing softball. Some people are really good hitters. You know, they hit it to the outfield. Other people hit, you know, good line drives and this and that. Well, the field, I guess it had, it was a baseball field that we were playing softball on. And it was a good field in good condition, maintained by the town and all. And I guess the farthest fence was like 400 feet. So it was almost like a pro, uh, the size of a pro stadium uh, thing, 400 feet to the outfield. But nobody hit it that far. I mean, people hit it to the outfield, but certainly not to 400 feet. Well, this guy Chuck gets up. And he's a rather unassuming looking fella. You know, looks like everybody else. He's not he's not rippling with muscles or anything like that. He's just a regular guy. And I think at the time he was probably like 29 or 30. And he gets up and he stands behind the plate. You know, and the first pitch comes in and he looks at it. The second pitch comes in. He looks at it. Third pitch comes in. This guy hit this ball, this softball. And this thing took off. Like it had rocket motors on it. I had never seen anything like it in my life. This thing took off and went up and up and up and up and disappeared over the trees at the 400-foot line. And I was like, oh, my God, that's amazing. And they're all laughing going, yeah, Chuck used to play for the Detroit Tigers. He's a real ball player. Uh, Wait till you see this guy in the field and everything. So that was exciting. I liked that about, uh, you know, baseball. Uh, I liked the minor league baseball uh, stuff. Um, around, around here, we have the Blue Claws, the, uh, Jersey Blue Claws. It's fun to go there. It's like 10 bucks a ticket. You can get a nice hot dog and a, and a beer and it's a reasonable price. And you can see the players and you can smell the grass and you can enjoy the game. They do a lot of activities during the game. It's good for little kids, all that stuff. Out of my office in, uh, in, on Long Island, I have an office and, uh, we have the, what are they called? The, uh, Long Island Ducks. And they're right by the hotel I stay at all the time when I go out there. And it's uh, it's fun. I've gone over there and had a beer and uh, and watched some baseball on a nice summer evening. So that's fun. I'm not opposed to baseball. I just, the whole, it's not as it's not as fast moving as um, football. That Okay, I think I, I beat that one to death. The point being, when we look for something good, when we look for something, things in life that we can look to, uh, you know, one of the things I talk about is heroes. You know, when I talk about heroes, uh, because we all have heroes, and a lot of times we start out, our heroes are our parents. Maybe your mother, your father, an uncle, uh, a teacher, a coach. You know, these are, these are our heroes. And a lot of times sports players for kids are heroes. But we see in our modern world, the sports players that we have today, there's not a lot of Joe DiMaggio's out there, right? There's not a lot of Mickey Mantles out there. Uh, Tommy Ags, you know, we, we just don't see these guys anymore. Brooks Robinson and and you know, all of these kind of people. The the players we have today, for the most part, uh, you know, they get themselves in trouble. They're in scandals. They're getting arrested for DWI, beating their girlfriends, using drugs. It's really depressing, you know, because these young kids don't have those kind of uh, of people to look up to. And the purpose of looking up to someone is not to idolize someone but to learn from them, right? When we have a hero, it's because we're usually impressed with the things that they do. We want to be like them. We want to be better. We want to be like our heroes. That's the idea. So when I look at this, I, I say, you know, who, who are the heroes out there today? Who can we turn to and say, boy, great place? Well, this Aaron Judge, number 99 from the New York Yankees, just 
surpassed Roger Maris's single-season home run record of 61 home runs. Aaron Judge hit number 62, and I think there's still a few games left in the season, so he could end up setting a new record that could last for 50 years or last forever. And Aaron Judge did it without the benefit of taking steroids. You know, some of the other major league uh, hitting records, there's asterisks next to the guys' names because they were they were juicing. They were using chemicals to uh, to be able to enhance their strength and hit the ball further. So they have records, but eh, there's an asterisk next to them. So in my game, in my, in my uh, uh, view, that's not a real record because they did something no one else could do because they used drugs that no one else used. If they changed the rules and said these guys can all juice, then okay, maybe then it would be a, a record. But in my book, it's not. But this Aaron Judge, his record is real. And he beat, uh, you know, uh, Roger Maris, whose record has held up for, for quite a while. And not only that, but this Aaron Judge guy is a good and decent young man. So I had no idea that part of his story was that he was adopted. So now that you're seeing all this talk about him on social media and the news, you should go take a look at this kid's story. And I call him a kid because he's younger than me, you know. His story, he was adopted and he lived a decent life. He, he's never been in scandal. Uh, he's never been involved with drugs as far as we know. We don't. He doesn't have like 92 children from 14 different women. He is just a good, upstanding young man. He is a hero. And the fact that he... he um, was adopted and his family loves him very much and he loves them and apparently they're very connected. There's all pictures of him with his mother, which I think is absolutely amazing and wonderful. But he's out there as a someone we can look to as a good and decent hero for, the, for these young kids that are out there and for any of us that are looking for someone who's doing the right thing in the right way and living a good life that we can all look at and say, isn't that fantastic? So... Bravo, Aaron Judge. Now, funny story. Um, I've never met him or anything like that, but uh, I was on a business trip to, of all places, um, to Minnesota, uh, St. Paul, Minnesota. I was out there, uh, and that's where the, the Twin Cities are, and that's where the, the Minnesota Twins baseball team plays. Well, at the event I was at, uh, if I looked out of the hotel window to the north, I saw the um, the Vikings football stadium. And to the south, only about a half a mile away, was the Twins baseball stadium. So one night for an event uh, that I was at, they said, hey, listen, we've got a special price on tickets uh, for the baseball game. It's the Minnesota Twins versus the New York Yankees. Uh, so anybody who wants to go see me, and you, so I said, you know what? What am I going to do, sit in a hotel room? Let me go over and see some baseball. It was a beautiful night. Uh, and I have to tell you, uh, I was very impressed with uh, with that city. Um, they had a parade, and this was all before the George Floyd riots and all that kind of stuff took place. This was uh, this was a couple years before that, and it was so Americana. It was so awesome. This local parade had the uh, the Lando Lakes uh, dancers. These were all little kids that were in this dance group, and then they had. Um, the local police, you know, the oldest marching band, police marching band in the country, and they went by and fire truck. It was so Americana. I was I was mesmerized by it, and and everyone got along, all different races of people. It was really awesome. I, I remember calling home and, and telling Miss Kathy, "You won't believe it here. This place is really really cool." So anyway, I get to this baseball game, and I go in, and I had a seat. I think 
like the mezzanine by third base. Now, that's pretty high up and far away, and I wasn't planning on staying for the whole thing because, you know, baseball doesn't do that much for me, but I'm at a live game. So let me let me get a, a beer, and I'll get a hot dog and enjoy the afternoon. It was a nice afternoon. And as I'm walking around, I see these people uh, leaning over a wall by, I guess it was near near home plate. And they were like 40 rows from the field, but they were down at field level, and they were leaning over this thing, and they all had uh, New York Yankee jerseys on. So I walked over and I said, hey, uh, I'm from Jersey. Any room for me? Hey, get over here, Jersey. You're with us, with New York, right? So I had my beer and my hot dog with excuse me, with them watching the game. And it, it was fun. You know, you're watching these different players. Well, after a while, I got tired and I decided to go to my seat. And as I'm walking towards my seat, I get around to, I don't know, I, home, home plate was to my left. So it was just past first base. I was, I was by the outfield at ground level. And I see this young couple uh, getting up out of their seats, and they're starting to leave. And there was a woman there who was watching the, the booth area. She was an employee of the stadium. And I'm standing there watching, because there's Aaron Judge standing right there outside where these people were. And I said, oh, that guy's a, he's a famous New York Yankee. You know, let me, let me see what this kid does here. And as these young people came up to me, they said, hey, listen, uh, I don't know where your seats are, but we're leaving for tonight. If you want to take our seats, go right ahead. We're down front here. And the lady watching the booth said, good, come on, you can use their seat. So I went in and sat down, and uh, it was amazing. Somebody hit a, uh, a line drive foul ball, and it went like six people over from me like a rocket ship. This, it was very exciting to watch this thing crash into the, into the thing, and everybody ducking and laughing, having a good time. But this Aaron Judge guy, um, he's standing there warming up, getting ready to start playing, and people are screaming to him, Aaron, we love you. You know, these were uh, Yankee fans, I guess, that were there at the game. And he turns around, he comes over, and he's waving to everybody and says, I love you too, you know, that kind of thing. He seemed like a really nice guy. And then to watch him play was absolutely amazing. I mean, balls that hit that guy's way, he would scoop them and throw them, and you could just see he was a very athletic um, superstar. He's absolutely a superstar, and now he has this record. So I, I just wanted to acknowledge that uh, because, you know, we go out on the radio waves here and basically this conversation will now drift through the cosmos for all times. And I just want to say, hey, good job, Aaron Judge. Thanks for being a decent person and being a true American hero. So that's uh, that's what I, I wanted to cover, the good and the bad things, you know, the, the sad things and the happy things. And those are my two. So that's where we're getting started here. Next, we can turn to some of the annoying things that go on out there, out there in the world. World of politics. So let's see, my pages of outrages, where do they start here? Um, well, let's see, our, our president, President Biden, um, he decides recently he's going to release 10 million more barrels of oil from our strategic oil reserve. One of the reasons he's doing that is he went to OPEC and he was basically begging them again, to increase production. And what did they do? They said, no, matter of fact, we're going to decrease production by about a million dollars, a million barrels uh, a day, which means gas prices are going to start going up for us here in America because we don't have our own energy independence anymore. We did under Trump, but, you know, it's, uh, it's not green. It's not green. So I guess it's more green to have $5 a gallon gas and buy it from the Saudis or buy it from uh, Venezuela or these other places that hate us. Buy it from Iran. I guess that's much better. That's more green than 
pumping our own oil and having gas at $2 a gallon. I guess that's better. I, I see maybe I don't understand these things. And this is where I get outraged uh, about this kind of stuff. But he's going to release 10 million more barrels um, of oil. Now, we have to replace that, right? Because that's part of a strategic oil reserve. That's in an emergency. If we had to go to war, we needed fuel. If something happened, we would need fuel. If there was an interruption of the, of the fuel supply around the world, which when it was American-made, we didn't have to worry so much. But now that we have to buy it from all these other countries, who could shut us off in an instant uh, and disrupt our country completely, which I do not think that's far-fetched to say that as the Russians and the Chinese get together with our other enemies that pump this oil, they might decide, hey, here's how we, here's how we uh, bring America to its knees. We'll shut off her energy supply, right? Just a thought I'm throwing out there. I want you to say, hey, I heard Lieutenant Joe say that when, uh, two years ago before this just happened, right? So the president is going to release these barrels of oil. And he says because, you know, he wants to make sure to get, I, I think what he realizes, we are now very close to the elections and gas prices are starting to go up. They're averaging almost $4 a gallon again and they're going to creep on up, creep, creep, creep. And he doesn't want that. So, hey, let me dump out 10 more million barrels. So he's endangering all of us by depleting our emergency supply of oil and fuel so that him and his party can get reelected. Now, I hate to be, uh, you know, to be so suspicious, but uh, we know politics on both sides. Politics on both sides is an ugly, ugly thing, and people do whatever they want. So we're seeing the attack on Herschel Walker down in Georgia, because it looks like Herschel Walker was, was really moving in the polls. People all across this country seem to be sick of the policies of our friends on the left, the policies that gave us $4 a gallon gas, $5 a gallon gas, inflation, 10, 12%. Uh, everything costs so much more than it did before. Everything is the supply chain nightmare, you name it. The border crisis, uh, all these things that are going on are brought to us by policy, by left-wing policy. Now you can argue what you want, say it's the right thing, it's the wrong thing, it's whatever. The reality is it's the policies of our friends on the left that are in control of everything right now that are causing all of these problems. That's the reason we're in this situation. And we have an election coming up. And we see people are uh, still... Uh, if, if you are going to vote for anything on the left, for any anything that's on the left that's going to continue the current situation, I have to ask you why. Why would you do that? Uh, are you so ideologically bound to socialism that you say, hey, it's better that the country gets completely destroyed and then we can rebuild it the way we want it? Because, you know, we've seen examples of socialism taking over places and everything is just so fantastic, isn't it, when they take over? No, it's be a thousand times worse. But anyway, some of you were sitting out there going, I'm never going to vote for a Republican. They hate people. They got that Trump. I would never vote for them. I'm going to vote for any Democrat. Well, you're going to get more of the same. You are asking for misery for yourself, your family, and your country. That's just the bottom line. You know, as people, I don't know them. Maybe they're nice people, but their their policies seem to be a little bit out of whack, and that's what's causing all our trouble. So the president is is doing that. He's he's going to release ten million more barrels, and we have to replace it. I guess at some point they'll replace it. They'll buy it who from our enemies instead of pumping our own. Stupid, stupid, stupid. All right. Um. In the news, another thing you don't see a lot about, you know, we, we see the Supreme Court 
today vacated a Massachusetts law, uh, a gun law that they had in place that was very draconian, uh, kind of a lot like the New York gun case that they, they overthrew and suddenly, you know, uh, New York's law, like many liberal states, would say, you have to have a good reason to have a gun, otherwise you can't protect yourself. And the court threw that out, and that's why lots of places now can have uh, carry permits. You're, you're entitled to have a carry permit. You're entitled to carry a gun, right, uh, to protect yourself. But we don't see the statistics that come with it. We just see, look how many murders this weekend in Chicago. Well, those, first of all, are probably not legal guns, uh, and they're, they're, be, they're criminals, killing people, right? So we don't have crime control. We've Oh, that's another thing our friends on the left has brought us. A crime wave we have not seen since the 1970s, all based on policy. You know, the whole idea of this, this equity, because people were treated poorly in the past, we have to uh, make up for that by not putting anyone in jail today. Uh, now, sure, I think there were a lot of things done in the criminal justice system that were improper, to many minorities in our country. I think that that was true. That happened. But that doesn't mean it's happening today. And to let everyone out of jail with no bail, well, you, you, you tried to kill somebody, you kidnapped somebody, no bail, go back on the street and commit 55 more crimes. How stupid is that? Think about that. How stupid that is. We know that most of our crime is committed by 10 to 15% of our population. And that's across everybody, right? That's not just picking one group. That's who the criminals are in our country, 10 to 15% of our population. And if you don't hold them to account, you don't uh, keep them away from the rest of the decent citizenry out here, they're going to hurt people. And that's what we're seeing happen. No bail, no bail, no bail. Make up for what happened in the past. Uh, people were treated barely. Therefore, when they do a crime, well, we're not going to put them in jail. We're going to let them out. And what do they do? They go out and do exactly what you expect them to do. Commit more crime. And we're seeing a crime wave that we haven't seen in, in decades. Uh, we just saw this, this EMT lieutenant in New York City. Five months from retirement. And she's going to get a sandwich for lunch. And this crazy criminal comes up and stabs her in the neck multiple times and kills her. What is the purpose of that? What is the purpose of that? How, how, how does that, does that do anything to equalize injustices of the past? That this woman was murdered as civil servant, someone who went out and helped people as her job, and now she's dead? How does that make up for past wrongs, right? This is where all this kind of stuff is crazy. So we, we, have, we have this gun law changing. And the statistic I'm talking about that we don't hear about is that so far 12 times uh, in the recent in the recent couple of weeks, uh, citizens that are armed have thwarted uh, violent attacks and crimes on other people. Now, I think if you look up the NRA, oh my God, the NRA—they're this the essence of evil. They believe in in the Second Amendment, right? Of course, relax. Uh, the NRA talks about safety and security first and foremost, and do the right thing and get trained on uh, the proper use of firearms. And yes, they're out there to protect your Second Amendment right. Um, but the reality is, if you look at the statistics, uh, the, the FBI statistics, there are between 200 and 500,000 incidents a year, 200 and 500,000 incidents a year where legal gun owners have protected themselves or protected a third party from a crime. So here's this incident right here. We got 12 incidences in the last month where um, violent crimes were thwarted by citizens who had a legal right to carry. Right. So is there a concern when you let everybody carry? Yes, of course there is. 
Um, but we have to make sure there's training and safety. But like George Washington said, the mere presence of firearms everywhere creates a safer environment. Now, I've paraphrased that, but look it up. George Washington said that all along because they knew. Um, we see down in Florida now this horrible Hurricane Ian. And to all my friends down in Florida and family, God bless you. I hope everybody's safe. I hope you rebuild. I hope you get through this. Uh, and I hope the rest of the country will chip in and help out you because that's what we do. We're a family. We're all a big family, right? We see that the governor down there and some of the sheriffs have said, hey, there will be no looting going on in these areas that are devastated. You will not go in and steal people's stuff. And one sheriff the other night, he caught a, so several people stealing liquor and, and other property from these devastated homes. Unfortunately for, for the news media and our friends on the left, several of the people that were arrested were illegal aliens that were here. So here they are coming here for a better life. And you know, I believe, I understand why they're coming. But now you got people committing crimes in the middle of this horrific thing that went on in Florida, this storm devastation where people, people died, their lives were ruined, and we got people stealing. Not just illegal aliens, other people are stealing too, but the governor uh, and some of these sheriffs down there who are very, um, very strong when it comes to law and order and, and no chaos and you will follow the rules, you will not commit crime, you will not hurt people, they came out and said, hey, if you're going to loot, you better be prepared because down here people will shoot back if they're at their property. Uh, so don't just go looting. And of course, our friends on the left went nuts. Oh, he's, he's, he's recalling a time of racism when the looting starts, the shooting starts. And well, well, what are you talking about? So who's committing these crimes? How, how, can, how can it affect uh, any particular group of people unless you're saying a particular group of people are committing crimes? So what are you saying? All they're saying is don't steal people's stuff. And if you do, down in Florida, where they have uh, a right to protect themselves, and stand your ground, you might get shot. I think that's good advice for everyone. So no matter who you are, if you're walking around down in Florida somewhere and you're in a devastated neighborhood, say, hey, I'd like to go in there and steal some stuff out of that house. Maybe you'll think twice and say, you know what? I probably shouldn't. First of all, it's wrong to steal somebody else's stuff. But number two, if I go in there to do that, maybe the homeowner's there and they might shoot me. So maybe I shouldn't steal which is what the message should be. And that's why the governor, Governor DeSantis, and the sheriffs are trying to let people know, do the right thing. Don't steal from people, because you do, you might get hurt. Okay, so listen, this has been an interesting episode for me. I appreciate you being there. Uh, and I hope you enjoyed yourself and, and you talk about your pets and your friends' pets and, and you can talk about where we are as a country. We do need to come together. So remember... Be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. This is Lieutenant Joe for Chasing Justice here on the America Out Loud Radio Network.